Good morning. Uh, my name is Michael Hieronymus. I'm going to read the sermon text today. It's uh, chapter 15 of the book of John. It's on page 902 of the Bibles in the pew. Uh, it's chap- uh, verse 18 of John 15 uh, through 16, 4. Again, page na- 902 of the pew Bibles. <clears throat> if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, or they will keep yours also they will also keep yours but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me if i had not come and spoken to them they would not have been guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin whoever hates me hates my father also if i had not done among them the works that no one else did they would not be guilty of sin But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Michael. Well, good morning. I'm Chris Garrett, and uh, someone said this morning, they said, we heard a Chris is preaching, and we were kind of hoping it was Chris Cooper. And I said, I know, I'm, I'm going to call myself the other Chris. I'm the OC today. I'm always, always fun to have Chris Cooper here, and uh, exciting to hear about uh, your ministry, Chris. Well, what a heavy passage, right? We're continuing on in John, and this is, man, this passage has been working me over, I think because of the reality of it right? Like this is real stuff. And uh, man, God's been working on my heart and I hope that uh, we'll find encouragement, but also some realism today about uh, what Christ is saying about the condition of the world. Well, to set us up, I'll um, point to J.R. Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings series. And there's something that happens throughout the stories. And of course, you know, the pedestrian characters, Frodo and Samwise, And they're just kind of very ordinary uh, little guys, but they go on this incredible journey. And something happens along the way. They they face incredible battles. They face uh, really harrowing circumstances. But they encounter these these, these elves, and these elves come from this kind of mystical land beyond the sea. And 
the uh, Frodo and Bilbo, they kind of indwell, they, they imbibe this greatness of spirit, this otherworldly courage. Somehow in their encounter with the elves and listening to the stories and hearing of the glory of the, the elven land beyond the sea, something changes in the hearts of Frodo and Samwise. And at the end of the journey, they, they come back to their homeland and it turns out that they've been changed. They've been given a greatness of heart. They've been given this, this vision. They can kind of see things better than their friends can. And their friends begin to realize something has changed. Something's different. In fact, there's some opposition that happens because Frodo and Samwise, are, they're no longer the same as when they had first started out on this journey. They've, they've had, uh, they live bigger lives. They've got bigger hearts. They laugh louder than others. And the way that they get restored when they, uh, when they face perplexing times back in their homeland, they love their homeland very much. They, they're fighting for what's good and right in their homeland, but they often will go off to the shore and they'll kind of sing the song and they'll think of these memories of the song that they heard beyond the sea. And they'll, they'll recite this, this song that uh, Tolkien has given the elves to sing. And it just the, one, the chorus goes simply like this. We still remember, we who dwell in this far land beneath the trees, thy starlight on the western seas. And then at the end of their lives, they go over the sea and leave this land forever. Well, you know, if you're thinking about this, this text and you think about Tolkien, you realize that we are like Frodo and Samwise, right? Are we not? If we've had an encounter with the living Christ, something has changed in our hearts and we've been translated from one realm, from one dimension to another dimension. And on the best of our days, when our hearts are stirred by faith, by the Spirit, we find courage. We think about, despite the hardship, despite the opposition, what this passage is all about, despite persecution, we, our hearts are at home, our hearts are encouraged, our hearts are stirred by this other reality that we've tasted, that we've had fellowship, that we acknowledge that Christ has called us as his very own. You know, last week, Matt so helpfully showed us that Jesus says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. My, my very life source penetrates you. My life is in your heart. You're no longer just a guy or a gal trying to make your way through this challenging world, but rather the very life of God is, is, is coursing through your veins. And I want to to show you how to help your world. I want to show you how to live and to be loving as that beautiful, uh, um, thank you for that beautiful offertory. That was just so perfect for today's uh, passage. Well, but you know, as Christians, as sojourners, as strangers and aliens in this land, as First Peter tells us, that's where we're just sojourners. We're strangers and aliens. There will be opposition. And sometimes that opposition can even lead to death. And Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He, he says, if, if we believe other things that Jesus says, we should follow him here and believe that he says, yeah, some of you will be persecuted even to death. And that's certainly been true in the Christian world. I just, we get a little news blurb every day about the persecuted church. And just, just yesterday, you know, another, another family killed in the Middle East somewhere because of their faith in Jesus. This is reality for our brothers and sorry. That's reality for our brothers and sisters around the world. And, uh, and Jesus gives us this taste. Well, we're going to break this passage down. We could do it a couple different ways. Um, don't write this down. If you're taking notes, don't write this down. But just to orient you, the first big chunk is about opposition. And then the middle couple of verses are about mission. And then it returns to opposition again. So it's opposition, mission, opposition. 
but I want to address it really in a different way. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. It's three RCs to make it easy for us. There's a radical conflict between Christians and the world. There is. There exists a radical conflict between Christians and the world. Can you feel it? Are you aware of it? See some medical people are nodding their heads. Yeah, we see that in our workplace. Uh, there's the radical conflict um, is because of a radical change. That's point two. We've experienced a radical change as followers of Jesus. So we have a radical conflict in the world. We've experienced a radical change, but this radical change brings about a radical uh, challenge, a radical challenge to let the test spirit testify through us to what Christ has done. So let's look, first of all, at the radical conflict. Uh, in, this, in this first uh, uh, portion, the verse uh, five verses here, really he's just explaining Jesus laying out what Paul says in 2 Timothy three, keep in mind the world hates you. It means hostility and persecution are inevitable because as Paul says, all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, if we live a flat out, no holds barred, unapologetic life uh, for Christ, there will be opposition, there will be persecution. Jesus just promises it to us right here. Well, we ask the question, why will the world hate us? There's actually four if-then conditional clauses here, and we'll just touch on them briefly. It's super interesting. There's four different reasons Jesus gives us. It's no mystery. He just lays it out for us. And these, cause, these clauses are um, they're, they're based on what grammarians would say, uh, concrete conditions of fact. So when he says it's not if, like if the world hates you, it's no. It's, it's, it's a fact. This is what's going to happen, and I'm going to explain why that is. So just briefly, we'll touch on them. In verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So I hated Jesus first. Secondly, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. So if you want to get out of it, if you're of the world, the world would embrace you. The world's got no problem. If you're of the world, live of the world. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, they also will persecute you. This is in the Bible. This is called something from the greater to the lesser. If they persecuted the greater one, they persecuted Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we're much lesser than him. So if they persecute him, of course they're going to persecute us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. So it's the if-then, greater to lesser. And finally, verse 20, if they kept my word or if they received my word, they would receive your word also. But of course we know that they didn't. Those who uh, Jesus was teaching and preaching to, they did not keep his word. And so therefore uh, they would not receive or keep our word also. So it's, it's just very clear. Jesus says, you know, um, as, the, as the master, so the student shall be. So that's where we find ourselves in this radical conflict with the world. Well, let's look at, uh, let's drill down in verse 20. In particular, what was it about Jesus' teaching that uh, created such conflict? Think about in the times of the New Testament when uh, the Pharisees, when the, when the religious leaders would speak in the synagogues, when um, the Pharisees would speak and teach, Someone would present something, it'd be not too dissimilar to hear. Someone would share a speech and give a talk. And if the elders in the congregation accepted it, when they sat down, they would say, amen, amen. It would be the stamp of approval. If this was an approved teaching, if it's according to Torah, they would say, amen, amen. Does that ring any bells? How did Jesus approach it when he taught? Jesus came with authority, and he, he didn't wait till the end. He started, he began, he said, amen, amen. Truly, truly, verily, verily, I say to you, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And everyone pulls out their hair and says, what? You can't, you can't, you can't self-attest to the truth. Jesus doesn't wait for 
mankind to say, you've got the message. He says, I'm telling you the truth. I am the truth. I'm presenting the truth. Amen, amen. And that's why part of the world why, part of the reason why the world is opposed to Jesus' message. He has absolute claims. You know, the world today tells us there's no such, no such thing as absolute truth that judges from the outside. You think about it, it seems like we're in this cultural wrestling match of, uh, over all kinds of issues. You know, you, you name it, we've got issues that we're struggling with as a culture, as a nation, as a world. And yet Christians say, you know what, there's actually an absolute judge that's, that's outside the sphere of existence, from beyond the sea, from somewhere else, a different dimension. And that absolute judge, that creator, sovereign God, has spoken truth. We can actually know truth about reality, about morality, about um, how we treat one another, about the Ten Commandments. Like, God's actually spoken, and this truth sits outside our existential existence and judges. It has the right to judge us as human beings on this planet. And the world doesn't like that, right? The world's going to be opposed to that. The world opposes any authority that's not of the world. So just like Frodo and Samwise, they're, they're trying to do good. They're trying to help. They're trying to be part of uh, loving their countrymen, and yet they're opposed because they're marching to a beat from a, a far shore, from a, a different shore. Well, Jesus says part of the reason that there's this radical, um, this radical conflict is from Matt's passage last week. Jesus, if you think about Jesus the vine and we're the branches, he's cut off our roots. We're opposed because our roots have been cut off. This might be, be a little close to home from you if you're from the north, if you're from the south, if you're from the west, if you're from a different culture, a different country perhaps. But Jesus calls us as Christians, as followers of his, to, to cut off the roots of our cultural assumptions, right? I'm not going to pretend to, to uh, unpack what all of our cultural assumptions are here, but sometimes you're, if, if you think you get rattled about a certain thing that happens in our church, you're like, oh, well, you know, Christians shouldn't do it that way. Or you read about something in the papers, oh, well, you know, real Christians wouldn't do this or that. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm severing you. You no longer should take your applause. You no longer should take your standard of judgment, of measurement, how you, how you self-evaluate based on your own cultural assumptions. I am the vine, you are the branches. You've been cut off from your socioeconomic class. You've been cut off from your race. You've been cut off from your education. You've been cut off from the part of the country that you're from or the part of the world that you're from. You're a new creation. And if you're a new, new creation, you're going to be in opposition. The world will oppose you because you no longer are marching to the beat uh, of, of the world. Some of you in this church remember Henry Kastner from a number of years ago. He was a businessman, and, and he's moved to the West Coast. But he started a ministry called Faith Driven Entrepreneur. It's a wonderful ministry if you have a chance to check it out. But they travel around the world and resource and encourage Christians, men and women who are engaged in business from a Christian uh, uh, viewpoint. And recently I was able to watch the video testimony of Sam Ree. And Sam, I just love how his life story illustrates this principle that we no longer are beholden to the metrics of the world. So Sam Marie is a Christian Singaporean. He works for Morgan Stanley Bank. And Sam tells his testimony, he says, you know, my entire working career has been after one thing, to become managing director of Stanley Morgan. That's the top position. You can't get any higher. It comes with unbelievable perks and privileges and glory. And you work your whole life to become managing director. 
couple years ago, the, the, the word was up that there was a managing director spot that was going to be opened, and he and his best friend at Morgan Stanley were, were being considered, and they got word that both of them would be promoted, and they were just so excited. You know, life's work uh, was, was going to be um, realized. Well, the big boss from New York flew into town, and he said, guys, I've got bad news. We only have one spot this year. We can only promote one of you, and I can't decide, so I'm going to leave it to you guys to work it out and let me know tomorrow. So Sam Marie goes home, and he wrestles. He and his wife are Christians, and they're praying together, and they felt like God pointed them to Genesis chapter 13, where Abraham and Lot separate. And it says there, hey, Abraham says, hey, we've we got to stop this quarreling between me and you. We don't need to quarrel anymore. Look, if you want to go west, I'll go east. If you want to go east, I'll go west, that there might be peace between my kinsmen and your kinsmen. So Sam says it was excruciating, but he went back to work the next day and told his buddy, like, hey, you know what? I think God's telling me to lay this down. I think you should be promoted. And the guy said, really? Really? If you're okay, I mean, sure, I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll be happy to do it. So that's what happened. So Sam was lesser. But you know what? The world didn't, the world didn't understand. Nobody, nobody could understand. The world was like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You've worked your entire career for this, and you've lost, missed out on the top rung. Jesus often calls us to act in ways that are contrary to what our own intuition, what our own hearts, what our own drive might be, and the world will oppose that. The world doesn't understand that we have a different standard that we're, that we're working against. You know, that might be, if you're in high school, if you're in college, that might be, you know, the, the one thing you're pushing for, that perfect grade or that perfect relationship, or if I only had this person, or if my grandkids, if you're older, only turned out this way, you know, then I'd be happy, then I'd fit in, then I would get the applause of others. And Jesus says, um, no, no, I've chosen you out of the world. There will be opposition in the world even when uh, you make choices that uh, are trying to honor me. So Jesus is telling us throughout here that there's a radical challenge um, and it's based on a radical change. So let's go to the radical change. We can see this in a couple different ways, but we'll see radical change mostly in verse um, 19. Look at this. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In the passage we looked at last week, it says that God chose us because he loves us. There's a radical change that happens because God loves us and has chosen us and has taken us out of this world. Our identity is no longer in our bank account, in our address, in our zip code. Our identity now is found in Christ. And this is the thing that can give us hope. Remember how the hearts of, of Samwise and Bilbo, or uh, did I say that right? Frodo, thank you, um, were stirred. They had tasted of a different reality, and this is the reality that we have. It's, it's not about the things of this world. Jesus says, I have chosen you, and your hearts have been changed. And this is what uh, should make you, give you contentedness, make you happy, give you uh, give you freedom in giving. You know, we're hearing these great stories of Chris and his ministry with RUF, and our hearts are stirred. It's like, wow, can I, afford to, can I afford to be part of that? Well, Jesus is saying, like, yeah, you know, you don't have to, to labor just for your own glory. You know, labor for the kingdom's glory and share um, with, with someone doing God's work. So Jesus says, I've chosen you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. 
it's a little bit like it's a little bit like maybe if you were younger in college or high school perhaps, or maybe this is reality. Have you ever had a best friend of the same gender? Like if you're a guy, if you had a best friend who's a guy or girl, best friend's a girl. And then they, they begin to spend a lot of time with someone of the opposite sex. This is, you know, back a long time ago in your life perhaps, right? You remember that feeling? It's a horrible feeling. It's like, wait a minute, I thought like we were a thing. I thought we were, you know, we, we said that we'd share secrets. And then, you know, uh, uh, if you're a woman, you know, gals before pals, right? Like, like all, you know, the sisterhood, like speed together, the guys, you know, it's always good. And then, and then your best friend starts to fall in love with somebody. Maybe they get engaged. And what happens? It's like you don't understand. You want to judge the other person. It's like, I don't know who this person is you're dating, but I don't like them already. You know, I can't, I can't see. I don't know what, see what you see in them. Like what happened to our time? You be, they begin to share their heart, their secrets, all these things. They've been chosen by somebody else. In that case, you're the world. We're the world that's feeling, I don't feel, uh, I don't feel, um, I don't understand this new relationship. This is love relationship. God in love chose his people. And the outsiders look at that and say, I, I don't, why are you different? I don't understand. Why are, you, why are you going off to read the scriptures? Why do you spend time at church? Why do you give tithes to church? Like this, all this is craziness. And God says, hey, I chose you. And there's going, to be, there's going to be a cost to that. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be opposition to that. Well, there's a radical, um, Jesus gives us here, uh, the radical um, conflict, radical change. But then there's a radical challenge. And this is really this middle part, verses 26 and 27. Look at this. This is actually a Trinitarian thing. If you slow down and look at it, it's actually a Trinitarian thing. And we see two things going on. One, the, the reason for the opposition is because of the Trinity. It's not because of us. And secondly, the Trinity is doing something in time and space. And the opposition is people were opposed to Jesus because they hated the Father. It's not the Christians that, that he's saying they're going to hate. It's because they're opposed to the Father. They hate the Father. And that's why Christians are hated by the world. But then Jesus flips it on its head and he says, actually, the Father sent me, I'm sending the Spirit, the Spirit's sending you. So we're in this long train. It's not just this, it's not this, you know, whoever, it's not like an optional thing. It's like the, it's like the whole sending of the Trinity. So look at verse 26, 27. But when the helper or paraclete comes, whom I will send to you, where? From the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit points to Christ. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So this is the great challenge. This is the great mission that Jesus sends us on. And it's all aligned. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends us. But we're not sent alone. He's going to be with us. And elsewhere in Scripture it says he will teach us uh, what to say when, our, when the hour comes. And verse 27, you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot of different ways, but one is, we were talking about this in our family, about social media. Like, man, it is so tempting on social media just to duck and, and say, like, I'd, you know, it'd be a lot safer if I weren't identified with Christian things on social media, right? Don't all of us kind of, if you're on social media at all, or even, an, uh, you know, friends are talking about, oh, you know, I think these Christians are terrible, or I think this thing. It's like, oh, wait a minute. You know, am I willing to be associated with a Christian cause or willing to be associated with what I think is God's view on this particular issue or that particular issue? I'm like, yeah, Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. You will testify to me by the power of the Spirit. There's a story of, that I want to share that some of you in this congregation know. Do you remember 
do you know, not remember, you know Marty Stam, who plays bass and leads worship for us sometimes. Handsome guy in the back. Not today, but other weeks he leads worship for us. He's from this area, and his great-great-uncle was a missionary born in 1907, and they had a real heart. He and his wife had a real heart for China. So John and Betty Stam, they went with, China, went with China Inland Mission in the early 1930s. And they said, well, God's sending us. We've got a heart for the world. We're going to go. And so the Stams went, and they learned Chinese. And John was really gifted, as it turns out, was able to preach in Chinese and was having great effect telling people about God's love for them. Well, in 1934, the communists came. And it was a time of great confusion and uncertainty, and no one really knew what, when they were going to storm the village. And then one day they got word there was tremendous chaos, and the communist bandits came and, and rushed into the little, it wasn't a village, it was a town they were in. And um, some of the people were able to escape out the east gate, but the Stams uh, were not able to. And they actually invited the bandits over for tea and sought to, to uh, minister to them and tell them of the love of God in Christ. Well, they were arrested that night and bound and let out 12 miles down the road. And uh, that night, um, John was able to pin um, a little note to the China Inland Mission. And he said this, he said, My wife, baby, and myself are today in the hands of communist bandits. Whether we will, whether we will be released or not, no one knows. May God be magnified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. Philippians 1.20 well, it turns out that uh, God was magnified in their death. Uh, John and uh, Betty were killed that night. But would you believe miraculously, their little baby Priscilla, they'd wrapped her in a blanket, and uh, she didn't cry for 27 hours. She was silent. And when the rescuers finally were brave enough to come and, and try to sneak up on this, this uh, little hut that they'd been imprisoned in, they found the baby silent and healthy, and the mother had wrapped a little $10 note in with her blanket, and that was enough to buy the formula that was very scarce in 1934, and it basically saved her life. Priscilla grew, took a different name to protect herself, uh, raised in the Philippines, and came back to the U.S. and lived out her life as a follower of Jesus. But that story with China Inland Mission, it's really actually launched um, many, many people launching the train um, of those who are sent to bear witness and there's a hymn that we sing that I just love. It's very, very moving. I, uh, that, that the China Inland Mission, a guy named Frank Houghton, wrote this hymn, Thou Who Wast Rich. You guys remember that? Some of you know this hymn. And verse 3 is so poignant for us here. Houghton wrote this after he visited the grave of the Stams. And he was overcome by this experience of 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. And he wrote this. Thou who art love beyond all telling, Savior and King, we worship thee. Emmanuel, within us dwelling, make us what thou wouldst have us be. Thou who art love beyond all telling, Savior and King, we worship thee. Well, that's the reality. That's the reality of us who are called believers. We're, we're called into conflict. We're called to, have a, to exhibit the great change, this change that Christ has come into our hearts. And as we think about the reality here, we think Jesus tells us here in this, this passage, like, hey, you'll be put out of the synagogue, verse 16 and 17, you know, back to the opposition. I'm telling you this to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogue. People will think that they are giving a service to God when they persecute believers. And yet Jesus says, I'm telling you this so you don't fall away. And he says, this is your true inheritance. This is your true safety. I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. Your names are written in heaven. 
beyond the sea, as it were. This is the hope. This is the confidence we have. No matter what uh, the world promises or offers or threatens us, this is the hope that we have. We'll close with 1 Corinthians. It says, God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly and despised things of the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. A Christian knows that this is the reality, that God can bring something out of nothing, and God can bring glory to himself even out of hardship. Let's pray to our great God in heaven. Our Father, we ask now that um, we who are in this room, that we would embrace and understand more fully the radical nature of the claims and of the love and of the grace of Christ, and that we might know it, and that we might uh, be encouraged that our names, our citizenship are written in heaven. And God, we ask that that would be our true land. We pray that you increasingly help us to see that our true homeland is not here, but that you have called us, set us apart, and though there is opposition here, that we can trust you that you are with us when we walk through difficulty. Lord, I pray that if there are any Christians here today who are living defeated lives because they're forgetting this tremendous distinction, this tremendous difference that you have brought into their life, I pray that you'd help us to see what it means to rejoice in our true home beyond the sea. We pray, God, that you would grant all these things, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.